Welcome. Good to be together. Good to be in God's presence. Uh, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, on most Sundays, I'm the one who has the privilege of bringing God's word, but I'm not the only one. We have others who preach. Grateful for that. But as Toby had said earlier, we are in a series. Uh, normally, we are in books of the Bible, and we make our ways through books, uh, learning uh, sequentially through, through the storyline and so forth of Scripture. So we just finished Ecclesiastes. But we take time occasionally to address important topics. And this summer we thought it would be important to uh, think about what God tells us to do, how he calls us to worship him together. This very important topic. So we've been digging into that. And this week I want to talk about worshiping God through singing. Um, that we're called to sing and worship God. That singing is an important part. We've been doing it already. An important part of our worshiping of God together. Have you ever thought about what singing is? I mean, we do it, but we maybe take it for granted. We, we basically take poetry of a sort, usually, and we add sound variations and patterns, right? So it's poetry, kind of where you vary the sound and you add other things that make sound and have patterns and variations. And it's an additional thing. It's kind of an upgrade of poetry, really. Poetry is great, right? Poetry is a wonderful way to communicate, to express ourselves and, and express truth and experience truth. But when we upgrade poetry into singing and music, it has a powerful effect. Think of it. The song Amazing Grace originally was written um, without music because uh, John Newton and, and um, I forget the other guy wrote it with him, Cooper, um, I don't think they were musicians, so they wrote it as a poem. And it's a great poem, right? You're familiar with it. Um, uh, let me read the poem to you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Great poem. But now, why don't you sing it with me? And we'll see if there's a difference. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Like me, you're probably tempted to keep on singing the other verses. Um, but what was the difference from listening to me recite it as poetry versus singing? I am guessing that for, for you, as you did that, there was something else going on that didn't happen when you heard it recited. There was a, some sort of deeper experience, maybe a deeper Emotional connection or spiritual connection, maybe even physical. You felt something in your body. You maybe felt your fingers tingle or something as you sang that. There was a difference in singing versus reciting. Singing is a special gift from God. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible says. The Bible has a lot to say about singing. And that's why we know it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God to bring us into a deeper experience of the impact of words. It's a gift from God to bring us into a deeper impact of words. And, and certainly the words about God and about his kingdom are the most important things that we can sing about. 
And music has been at the forefront of the Christian experience for centuries. And really, Christian singing has been predominant in many cultures. It's actually interesting, side note, if you watch things like The Voice or American Idol, or you just note some of the popular singers, how many of them got their start in church? Uh, and many of them remain even worship leaders as well. There's, there's this impact of the singing of God's people that goes beyond even just us to the broader culture. And of course it makes sense because this is a powerful gift from God. So I want to take us on a journey today to look at what the Bible says about singing and worship and to learn more as a result. And so let's pray and ask God to teach us and, and to impact our own lives and our understanding of this wonderful means of worship. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gift of singing. And Lord, you love us and you want us to know you in all your goodness and glory. And so you've given us this gift of singing and worship that we might encounter you and, and understand and behold you and remember you and celebrate you and all that you've done. So I pray you'd help me to teach well. And I pray, Lord, as we go through this, that the result would be we would be listening to you and changed by you and your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So first thing I want to say is that singing is biblical worship. Singing is biblical worship. It's throughout the Bible. Uh, it's mentioned about 500 times in Scripture. It's described as happening at the beginning of all things and at the end. So at the beginning, Job 38, 4 through 7. It says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And then verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There was singing at the beginning in creation. As, as God made these things and the, and the angels and the heavenly hosts worshipped. And then Revelation 5 gives us a picture of the worship at the fulfillment of all things, the end of all things. And chapter 5 verses 9 and 13 and following. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you. And it goes on. And then he says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. There's singing at the beginning and there's singing at the end, the fulfillment of all things. And of course we find singing everywhere in between. You find singing throughout the scriptures. The Old Testament saints sung in their worship. It was an important part of their worship. When David was making preparations for the temple that would be built by his son, he provided for quite a choir. We read about it in 1 Chronicles 23, 1-5. Uh, it says, When David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel. Um, David assembled all the leaders of Israel and the priests and the Levites. Um, the Levites, 30 30 years old and upward were numbered, and the total was 38,000 men. And it goes on, and, and David said, shall have charge of the work in the house of the Lord. 6,000 shall be officers and judges, 4,000 gatekeepers, and then, and then this, and 4,000 shall offer praises to the Lord with the instruments that I have made for praise. What a choir! 4,000 Levites who are to lead in singing and in playing music as part of the worship around the temple. Now, if we Remember, David was a musician himself, composed many songs. We find them in the Bible's songbook, which we call the book of Psalms, which is uh, the lyrics to the songs. We don't have the music. We don't know uh, what the music was like. But the book of Psalms is not poetry per se. It's the lyrics to songs. It's 150 songs of worship. 
and the Old Testament people would have known the tunes and they would have sung these tunes, uh, these, these psalms, in worship. And the psalms themselves, of course, extol singing. They call us to sing. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. How do you just ascribe the, to the Lord the glory due his name? Through song. Through speaking about him and singing about him and all of his goodness and glory. God himself is pictured as singing in the scripture. Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God sings over his people. Now, of course, this Old Testament practice extends into the New Testament. We see it in the New Testament in different places. A key verse is in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16, but before we get to verse 16, there's a background in Colossians. Paul is speaking of the wonder of Christ, the glory of God in Christ, and all that he's done to rescue us from the dominion of darkness, from our sin, and coming to take on flesh. He became fully human. He lived the righteous life that, that we've all fallen short of. And then he offered that righteous life on the cross in our place to pay for our sins, and so that through simple faith in him, turning away from our sin, turning to Christ, through simple faith in him, our sins would be paid for, would be credited with his righteousness. And through Christ, God is reconciling to himself all things. So it's not just that he's reconciling us individually, as important as that is. It's also us corporately, but it's also the whole universe. He's going to bring peace to the whole universe. The impact of what he did on the cross is going to have a ripple effect that will eventually transform the entire universe. And in light of that truth, in light of what he's done, in light of his reign right now and his return, in light of the future that we have in him, we're called to live differently. That background is all so important to what is going on in, in chapter 3. So then Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you've put your faith in him and now you are united with him and you yourself have been raised, that's the truth for the Christian. We have been raised with Christ. We've died to our sin and our old self. We've been raised to new life in Christ, to abide with him, to walk with him, to enjoy him. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What's he doing there? He's reigning over his church to bring his kingdom. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then the rest of the chapter says, put off these things and put on these things. Don't do that anymore. Do this instead. And in that context, Paul says, do this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching. And admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then this singing, 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 singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing is an important part of how we worship God and it is throughout the Bible. Singing is singing truth. Singing expresses our new life in God. Singing 
is full of the Bible. It's meant to be full of the Bible when we sing God's words. Singing is about theology on display through song. Gordon Fee, the theologian and Bible commentator, says, show me a church's songs and I will show you their theology. Maybe another way to say that is, show me a church's songs and I will show you what they treasure about the Bible. The Bible calls us to sing. Singing is biblical, and the Bible is to saturate our singing. It's not an optional worship item from what I see in the Scripture. It is so predominant, it is so compelling in Scripture, that I think there's no way that we ever ought to neglect it as part of our worshiping God together. We ought to continue to make it a priority, to treasure it, and to support it. And and just by way of application. Let's pray for our music team. They work hard every week um, to help us worship God in song. Um, It's not necessarily easy uh, to to get up here and to do this. And they do it again and again and they work hard. And and thank God for how well they have served us uh, over the years. So much of our experience on Sunday mornings uh, is because of the music team. God using the music team to direct us in the singing of worship. And by the way, if you have gifts in music and you love to worship God and you're not serving on the team, please talk to me or talk to, to Mitch Jacoby, our, our dean for, our deacon, our dean, that's a nice title too, our deacon for, for worship here. Um, and we'd love, to, we'd love to see how we can help you develop your gifts. So singing is biblical. Second thing I want to say is singing is expressive worship. It's a vital means of expression in worship. So if you look at the Psalms, you will see that there's all types of Psalms for every occasion. Not just celebration, not just singing about victories, but but other things too for every mood, for every joy, sorrow, for repentance, for lament when things are just so awful and they don't seem like they're going to change. There's Psalms for that. There's songs for that. There's worship in that. That's what the Psalms teach us by this example. There are Psalms for intercession and celebration, thanksgiving and worship. The Psalms teach us to express ourselves to God in song. Whatever our situation, whatever our mood, we are to come to God with song and to sing to Him. And so if you survey the Scripture, you see this being lived out. It's really interesting to see how closely associated the different victories in scripture are with song. And so when the people are delivered from the Egyptians, they, they uh, go through the Red Sea and safely, and then the seas collapse in on the pursuing Egyptians who are bent on killing them. They sing. Exodus 15. Uh, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And of course, this would have been in Hebrew and would have been a song. And dancing and tambourines. Celebrating the victory of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 18 is a celebration of the victories God had given to David. If you read that psalm, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock and whom I take refuge. 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's a song. Now, again, we don't, I only have the lyrics, so it sounds like poetry, but it's a song. Singing to the Lord, celebrating. Revelation 15, the song of the Lamb as well. It says, they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty. Just and true your ways, O King of the nations. But there are also songs in Scripture outside the Psalms recorded for other events. Second Chronicles 35 records this, Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they are written in the laments. So they had these songs that were laments. And they sang of this great king Josiah and what, what happened to him. There's a lament over that. There's a song about, about this sad situation. And so through the Psalms and through these examples in Scripture, we see that, that, that singing is meant to express ourselves to God in all of life's situations, to come to the Lord and to experience the Lord in that. Singing is really important to being human. It's how God has made us. And this example in Scripture calls us to be those that sing to the Lord in every situation. I hope you see that. And I hope you feel the call of the Scriptures to practice this, certainly privately, but also on Sundays to recognize what we're doing when we're singing. We're coming before the Lord to express these things, to experience these things as we sing about them together. To deny the importance of song is to deny something very important and essential about ourselves. Martin Luther said it a little more forcefully, as usual. Martin Luther said this, when man's natural ability is wedded and polished to the extent that it becomes an art, speaking of musical art, then we do know with great surprise the great and perfect wisdom of God in music, which is, after all, his product and his gift. And then he says this, A person who gives this some thought and yet does not regard it, music, as a marvelous creation of God, must be a clodhopper indeed, and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the brain of donkeys, Donkeys and the grunting of hogs. That's Martin Luther. I would never say anything like that, but <laughs> Martin Luther did. Perhaps a, more, a little more redemptively, Jonathan Edwards says, the duty of singing praise to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. In other words, the things of our soul, the deeper things. Getting beyond just maybe our understanding to what's going on in our hearts. Meant to express at a deeper level these things. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music. But only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. Just like when you sang Amazing Grace versus recited it. Similarly, John Piper says, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotion that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings, so normal sort of readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some demand that poetry be stretched into song. God has given us this gift to touch our hearts and to express the depths of our heart to God. We are to worship God 
true song. We are to experience the depths that he has for us in singing. We're to cry out to God in prayer and thanksgiving and adoration from the depths of our souls through song. <coughs> We're called to be expressive. And by the way, it's important, I think, to appropriately express ourselves as we sing. Because if our soul is being touched, our bodies are being touched too. And there's a connection there. And for me, uh, coming from, I guess, a New England background and a fairly conservative religious background, when I first started to encounter these truths and, and heard these things, um, it made me really uncomfortable. And I could be in a room full of people lifting their hands up as they sang and enjoyed the Lord. And I, I'm not doing it. That's weird. Keep my hands down. And part of what, uh, for me, the, the, the growth in that area was as I thought about other arenas of life, literally, uh, where we express our hearts with our bodies without any hesitation. I think we have a picture. Just think about it. If you, went, if you were able to get tickets to a Patriots game, and it was just an amazing game like, that, like the Super Bowl against the Falcons or something like that, right? And everyone's jumping and cheering and you're like, it's a little weird, I'm not lifting my hands up, I'm not gonna show anything. And your friend were to say to you, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm actually, I'm actually celebrating in my heart right here, but my, I'm not expressing like that, you know? You wouldn't do that, no one would do that. Of course, you're jumping and screaming and shouting, it's great. And that was what convicted me actually. Because I would do that at, at sporting events, but when I came to church, it was like, I'm not lifting my hands. And, it, and so I started to kind of lift my hands, and I did the gradual, like you start a little bit like this, you know. You get a little more altitude, you know, and then over time you, you kind of do this, and then maybe you're doing the touchdown, the touchdown worship. So, um, and not that you have to do that. The point is, God has given us this gift of singing to him and, and really knowing him and partly how we come to know him better and enjoy him more is through singing. And you may be inhibited, you may inhibit your growth in Christ by stifling appropriate expressiveness. Now, we're not going to do anything weird here. The Bible calls us to a certain way to do this and we don't want to draw attention to ourselves, but we lift our hands up. And you can actually do a little bounce in motion too, and that's okay, whatever is appropriate. Um, Probably dancing down the aisles will draw too much attention away from what we're doing to you. So don't do that, but, but, uh, but be appropriately expressive. God wants you to, I believe. He loves you. He wants you to enjoy him and worship. Next point. Singing helps us remember. Singing helps us remember. And we see this in Scripture. In Deuteronomy 31... Moses has been teaching the people and he's about to die. And he's no longer going to be with them. And he's given, he's been the, one, the author of the word, most importantly. But what does God tell him to do? We see in chapter 31. It says, uh, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. 
Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. So there was a song that he was going to teach them that would help them remember the truth about God and his covenants. And even when they were in the midst of their rebellion, that they would still remember that song they heard maybe as kids. Just think how many times God has done that perhaps in wayward children. They grew up in the church. They sang the songs. And there's a moment in their lives, in their hardship, where all of a sudden, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And in that moment of remembering that song, turning away from their sin and coming back to Jesus, because they remembered the power of song is in its power to do many things, but one of them is to help us remember truth in, a, in a, a profound way. That's part of what's going on in Colossians chapter 3. As Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and sing. There's this interactive loop. The word leads to singing. Singing reinforces the word. Oliver Sacks, uh, in his book on music and the brain, says every culture has songs and rhymes to help children learn the alphabet, numbers, and other lists. I actually sometimes have to sing the alphabet to remember alphabetical order. So I don't know about you, but I'm like A, A B, C, D, F, G. Okay, that's right. Um, even as adults, we are limited in our ability to memorize series or to hold them in mind unless we use mnemonic devices or patterns. And the most powerful of these devices are rhyme, meter, and song. This is just who we are. This is how we're made. Songs have power. I have a quick video I actually want to show. It's a wonderful example of this. A man named Ted McDermott, his son Simon. Uh, Ted has Alzheimer's. And his son discovered that he could minister to his dad. And actually through his dad, minister to others through song. So just, if we could roll that short video. Not working. Okay. Well, I'll describe it. So uh, the son, Simon, uh, discovered that he could, his dad, who would actually forget who Simon is, his son and his other children, that's how advanced his Alzheimer's was, um, and would be very confused and agitated. He found that by taking his dad for car karaoke, basically, his dad had been a singer, um, and playing music in the car as they drove, he would just, he would remember all the songs, and he was a wonderful singer. And so uh, the video uh, shows them. And actually, they, they made an album by his dad of all his songs. Uh, and, he, and it's amazing. And so you watch him. You watch the difference. He just lights up, and, and his agitation decreases as a result of this. And it's because of the power of song. He has all these songs still in his mind, and it still functions. Just a picture of how God uses music. And, and just thank God for all the songs that we have banked in our minds. The songs we sang Today, perhaps, are some of those. I think of classics like Amazing Grace. We all can sing by heart. And can it be, all I have is Christ. In Christ alone, before the throne of God, above. All these wonderful songs. And again and again, for all of us, I know they come back and remind us of the truths we need to remember. So singing and songs are about remembering truth. 
next point is trying to hit the key points in Scripture. There's probably more than these five, but singing is about encountering God. It's about encountering God, and I think we've already seen that as we've gone through the Scriptures and, and realized that. But, but there's a point here that I think we need to, to, to emphasize and be careful about. Singing is about encountering God, and therefore it's a, a core part of our worship because worshiping God together is worshiping God together. It's about experiencing God. It's about encountering God. And so singing and worship is part of that encountering God. It's part of how we, how we behold Him and experience Him. It's meant to function that way. Singing is not a warm-up for the sermon. Now, it's great to get warmed up for the sermon. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but that's not the point. Singing is worship in and of itself. And there are examples in Scripture that teach us that singing is a powerful way to encounter God. When the temple was constructed and the, the initial offerings were given at the temple and they started singing, God showed up. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Uh, it says, And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman and Jedithin, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, in praise to the Lord, and the words, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That was the, the song, the lyrics to the song they were singing. Simple and profound lyrics. It says, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. <coughs> this is the presence of God. It's the glory cloud of God. Think of, think of the journey in the desert. The cloud, the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire. This is God's very presence, his manifest presence among his people. And how does it happen? It happens as they sing and they worship God. They're singing and adoring him and remembering him. And the glory cloud fills the temple. And it's so, so thick that they, they, they can't continue to minister as they were. The presence of God comes in power in the midst of worshiping him in song and in music. Elisha. In 2 Kings, it says this, And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I had regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. So he, they're coming to ask him for counsel. And he's going to prophesy. But he says this, But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Elijah was called to, to prophesy. And, and he sought the Lord by worshiping with music. And as he did that, he encountered God, and then he was able to minister as a prophet of God. The other side of this is the example of Saul. King Saul, after he had sinned continuously and grievously and been rejected as king, was subject to an evil spirit. And he found relief, spiritual relief, when David came and played the lyre. Now David would have most likely been singing one of his worship songs as he played on the lyre, and it says in second, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. There's stuff going on in the singing to the Lord in worship that's spiritual and powerful. God makes his presence known. God drives out the enemy. God touches hearts deeply. 
And I'm sure we've seen this. I think I've shared the example before. There was a friend of ours who um, had, was in our alpha class. And um, wonderful person. Uh, she was like a CEO. Um, very, uh, very competent and very kind of controlled. So she wasn't a very emotive person. Um, not a very expressive person. And she was attending the Alpha program, which we run. Um, this was some years ago at another church. And she was learning more about Jesus, and she decided to come to church on a Sunday. And she came, and she came during the singing and worship. And as she came in, this, this proper person, very, very controlled, something happened. She started to, to weep and cry, and her emotions all of a sudden became really powerful, so much so that she freaked out and ran out of the church. Um, because the Lord was doing something in the context of worship and song. Now, I'll have you know, she, she later came back and gave her life to Christ and is following Christ. But, but that was her experience. And this is part of the reality of singing. We encounter God through singing. It's a high point of our worship. Enjoying Him through the worship of song, the means of song. So I think just to understand that, to also come here to pray for our time, and so grateful for those who pray Sunday after Sunday. You're all invited to be with us to pray pretty much at 9.30. We're in my office, and if we outgrow the office, we'll go somewhere else to pray for our time together. We don't take it for granted. God is gracious, but we don't take it for granted uh, that, that God would bless us. We, we want to seek him. And we seek him in prayer. And I'm so grateful that Sunday after Sunday, through our entire worship time, but through our singing, God meets us. We taste and see that he is good. And, and so I just want to encourage you to pray and expect God to meet you in worship, in worship through song. And I encourage you to also do that privately. When you are struggling, when you are tempted, one of the very best things you probably can do is to sing a worship song. Because you'll be singing the Bible, you'll be singing truth, you'll be praying truth, and you'll be employing this wonderful means of grace that's powerful and touches the depths of our soul so that those truths and that experience wouldn't just be something you, you say with words, but something that touches your heart. Just the other day I was praying here, and I just had burdens I was carrying, and I just started to sing. And my, my feeling about everything, my thoughts about everything, my experience about everything changed radically just through walking around and singing that one song in my time. Let me call and encourage you to do the same in light of this wonderful gift. So, final point, quick, is just that, therefore, let's sing and worship God. Here, these words, Psalm 33, it says, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's, by the way, a song. So they're singing it as all the instruments are, are playing. Ephesians 5.8. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit 
Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with a final picture. When one of our children was about three years old, um, we discovered him in the living room, and we had been playing uh, some worship music, and he didn't see us there, uh, and we kind of peeked around the corner, and there he was, uh, three years old, and there's some song, and he had his hands up, and he was dancing and singing. Wonderful picture. And I leave that picture with you because that's what the Lord calls you to do. He wants you to be free and enjoy Him. He wants you to feel the, the wonder of His truth, the wonder of His love, the wonder of Christ dying for you and rising again so that you could experience real life. He wants to meet you. He wants you to enjoy worshiping in song. So, as the band comes up and we transition, let me just call you right now, maybe just to pray. Let me, let me pray. And let us take time as we have in our remainder to worship the Lord in song and otherwise. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful gift of worship and song. We thank you, Lord. We see it throughout the Bible. We thank you for the gift that helps us express ourselves and helps us remember. We thank you for this gift that helps us encounter you now, Lord, help us as your people to sing and to worship. Whether we can carry a tune or not, to join in with the chorus here and the heavenly chorus that enjoys you and lifts you up and beholds you in all your goodness and glory. Glorify your name and build us up in these truths we ask in Christ's name. Amen.